Well, we're continuing our, our study in the Gospel of John in chapter 10, beginning in verse 17. And we're going to read verses 17 through 30 this morning. Therefore, Jesus says, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it again. This command I received from my father. Therefore, there was a division among, again among the Jews because of these sayings. Many of them said, he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of, of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? It was the feast of, of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. And then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. We are continuing to, to study chapter 10, and what a chapter this is. The section begins by just screaming of, of God's power, um, of how big he is. We look and, and see here where he begins by saying, my father loves me. Jesus thinking of his heavenly father and just says, my father he loves me. He knew that the relationship between him and God the Father was one in which the Father loved the Son. And Jesus says, because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down myself. When we see Christ in Scripture... Section begins by just showing us as he goes to the cross, it's him that's in control. There's those that are crucifying him. There's those that are yelling, crucify him. There's those that are yelling, give us Barabbas. But Jesus here is saying, I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take my life again. I think of in Luke chapter 23 where Jesus is there upon the cross and he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Into your hands I commit my spirit, and he breathes his last. He has the power to lay it down. John 19 tells us that when the soldiers came to break the legs of Jesus, um, that they found that Jesus was already dead and they didn't need to break his legs. He had the power to lay his life down, and he did he died for us. We see that. He tells us, I received this command from my father. He gave me the power to do this, and I've come, and I'm going to the cross 
and I'm going to lay down my life, and I'm going to take it again. As we look at this on this side of the cross, remember Jesus is saying this before he ever went to the cross. But looking at it on this side of the cross and being able to look at our Savior and say, before he ever went to the cross, he's saying, I'm going to lay down my life and I am going to take it again. Those that are around are hearing this and saying, he's, he's got a demon or he's mad. Who says things like, I have the power to lay down my life and I have the power to take it again? And there's this great division amongst the people. We look at it on this side of it and say, he wasn't mad. He didn't have a demon. He laid down his life for his people. And he rose again on the third day. You may be here this morning just wondering, well, how do we know for sure that he rose again from the dead? Um, And there's an incredible amount of evidence of that taking place. Him appearing before the disciples. Him appearing before over 500 people at one time. Uh, Lives radically changed. People that went into hiding and, and the disciples wandering away. And then all of a sudden, when they see him, radically changed. Going even all over the world. India, China, Europe, Africa. Disciples going everywhere to proclaim the gospel to proclaim the good news because they saw him. They knew that he had risen from the dead, willing to die for their faith because they knew without a doubt Christ rose again from the dead. And he had the power. He did so. Others are saying, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? There's others that are listening saying, he just opened this man's eyes. Someone that was born blind he opened this man's eyes. So there's debate that's taking place. Verse 22 says, Now it was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem. And it was winter. It was a dedication, a Feast of Dedication, this time in which they were remembering great victories of what had taken place um, a little over 100 years before when, when God's people had been just persecuted in incredible ways pig that was slaughtered there in the temple and God just working miraculously to bring it to where God's people were freed so this is the time in which it's taking place Jesus walks in the temple in Solomon's porch and the Jews are surrounding him they say to him how long do you keep us in doubt if you're the Christ tell us plainly and Jesus answers them and says I told you And you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. Jesus had told them very plainly. If you think of even the woman at the well where where Jesus is there in John 4. And the woman says, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. And when he comes, he'll tell us all things. And Jesus says to her, "I, I who am speaking to you am he. He told them plainly over and over again, I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. And so Jesus tells them as they're saying these things, when they're saying, how long do you keep us in doubt? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus just says, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. I've done these works. I've healed the blind. I've made the lame walk. I've caused people to rise again from the dead. I've healed people with a withered hand, or I've healed people with leprosy. 
I've made people who are unable to hear, able to hear. People who are unable to speak, able to speak. I've multiplied fish and loaves. I've walked on water. Miracle after miracle. Jesus, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep as I said to you. Jesus is telling them of why they don't believe. They don't believe because there is this hardness of heart that is there. Hardness of heart that makes it so that like all those who are unbelievers, they run away from him. They hate the light. They love darkness and they hate the light. And so they run in the opposite direction of where Christ is. So Jesus says, you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. There's the sheep and there's the goats and God separates them at the end. But God says, the reason why you do not believe is because you are not of my sheep. My sheep, they hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. That's us. If you're here this morning and you're a believer in Christ, your, your hope for salvation isn't based upon your good works, but it's based upon the finished work of Christ upon the cross. You're here this morning and, and all of your hope for being saved is that Christ died for your sins and he gave you his righteousness. Rose again on the third day. And you have faith in him. If that is the case, then you are his sheep. He says, my sheep, they hear my voice. Something radical that happens to us when you could have read scripture your entire life. It could be something that's so familiar to you. And then all of a sudden, God saved you as you were going through his word, listening to it being preached. However it was that God saved you, being in a place where he, as the good shepherd, spoke to you and worked in your heart and you heard his voice, didn't you? All of us as believers have, have that testimony. This point where God just took a heart that was hard and, 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 and like a rock and he made it into a heart of flesh to where it was soft towards the things of God. We maybe thought that we were okay, that we were in no need of a savior. And then God just, through his word, exposed our sin and showed us that we were in desperate need of a savior. You maybe mocked Christ. You maybe wanted nothing to do with Christ. And there was this change of heart that took place. You read God's word, and as you read God's word, it's different than it ever was before because you hear him. You see him in the pages of scripture. Jesus says, my sheep, they hear my voice, and I know them. I know every one of them. God's not in a place of being surprised when we come to salvation. He says, my sheep, they hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I love our shepherd. A shepherd that's so good that he brings us unto himself. They follow me. Now we're going to go into a section of scripture. Which is one that has controversy around it to some degree. There are those that believe within the church that you can lose your salvation. And there are those that believe that there's security in your salvation. There's those that would believe that you could lose your salvation. And those that 
that fit into that camp. Um, look at those that believe that they're secure in their salvation. They think that that would lead to sloppy living. That would lead to, to being in a place of just thinking once saved, always saved. I'm okay. And then there's those that would believe that you could lose your salvation and... Um, and you find just two different camps that are there. I, th- I think probably more than two different camps. There's those that would say, once saved, always saved, but have no biblical understanding of the fact that it's not just about saying a prayer. It's about radical transma- transformation that's taken place in that person's life as the Holy Spirit has made them a new creation. Um, they don't understand that. They don't understand that the text before us right now says, my sheep, they hear my voice, I know them, and they what? They follow me. They follow me. And so when I preach through a section like this, I, I, I want to make it very clear that I believe that, that God keeps those who are his to the very end. But I believe that those that are kept to the very end are those that God works in their lives to bring them to a place where they're following him. If there's someone that says, yeah, I'm a I'm, I'm a Christian, but they don't do anything as far as have no desire for the things of God, no desire to live for him, no desire to please him. They're just living in, in, in sin and, and, and there's no just guilt for sin and desire to, to repent and desire to follow him. There's no fruit that's coming out of their lives. We would look at those that are in that category and say, by their fruits, you'll know them. There's many that will say to him, Lord, Lord, and yet he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. Now, every part of these words matter when he says, depart from me, I never knew you. It wasn't depart from me, I knew you once, but then you did this thing, and I, as a result, you lost your salvation, therefore, depart from me. He says, depart from me, I never, I never knew you. And so when I go through this and we look at Great evidences in our text and in other texts that, that in, in other passages of scripture that just show that we have this great security in Christ. Um, I want us to have in, in the back of our minds what we just read. Jesus, my sheep, they hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. And so if you're living in a way of just you do whatever you desire to do and there's no desire to honor God. There's no fruit that is in your life. There's no desire to worship him, to please him. Um, you need to question whether or not you are part of his sheepfold. Okay? So let's look at the text. Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. I don't know that there's many scriptures in the word of God that are more precious to me than a passage like that. Jesus begins by saying, I give them, I give them eternal life. Eternal life is not something that you were born with. It was given to you by Jesus. I give them eternal life. You didn't earn it. 
It was a gift. I give them eternal life. I also thank God that it says eternal life. It's eternal. I'm thankful that he knows the end from the beginning and there's nothing that he could ever, that that I could ever do to lose that gift. He knew all about me when he gave me and when he gave you the gift. In Romans eleven twenty nine, 29, it says, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. When he gives a gift, it's a gift that is there forever. I give you, I give you eternal life. For you to have the gift of eternal life, <clears throat> it means that God made you a new creation. He clothed you with Christ's robes of righteousness. He, he hurls your sins into the depths of the sea. He didn't do that just so that he could later go back and, and take you who were once, or who, who were once that old man who has been made a new creation to go back to being that old man again. Being in a place of right back to no longer being a new creation, but being in that old state. He didn't clothe you with robes of righteousness so he could take the robes of righteousness away and leave you in a place of being covered in your sins again. He doesn't take your sins and hurl them into the depths of the sea only to later take all of the guilt of your sin and put it right back on yourself again. Give them eternal life. Our text here tells us that he says, I, I give them eternal life and they, shall, and they shall never perish. Now as we study this, I hear the Lord saying things like, like no one shall ever snatch them out of my hand. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all and no one's able to snatch them out of his hand. And so, and so you, you picture you, yourself and you're, you're in the hand of Christ. The Father who's greater than all holds you in his hand. And I've heard people say this and say, okay, well, you're secure. But the text, it doesn't say that, that you can't jump out. So they, they take this and say, he holds you in his hand. I've heard this preached before. He holds you in his hand. The Father who's greater than all holds you in his hand. And there's, there's no one that can snatch you away. And they'll say, well, it doesn't say you can't jump out. And my response to that is, yes, it does. What we just read is, and they shall never perish. They shall never perish. He holds you in his hand. The Father who's greater than all holds you in his hand. No one will take you from that hand. But it also says, and you, God's sheep, will never perish. You'll never perish. Think of how just emphatic those words are. You'll never perish. There's nothing that you can do to make it so that you'll perish. There's nothing that anybody else can do that will make it so that you'll perish. Those that were in the church there in in Charleston that were shot this last week. Nine people killed. No matter how much wickedness was in that young man's heart to go in there and to kill those people. God says, you'll never perish. 
people that he killed, they, they instantly were in the arms of the Lord. You'll never perish. In Romans 8, 35, it says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? It goes on in verse 38 to say, for I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created things shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There's nothing that can cause you to perish. No one's able to snatch you out of his hand. You see in Philippians 1.6 where it, God tells us, be confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Be confident of this very thing, that, that God, who began this good work in you, will be faithful to complete it. If our view of God is such that he is sovereign, he does all that he wills to do, and there's nothing that's too hard for him, then we know that a God that begins a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. He doesn't start something and then fail to bring it to completion. He'll complete it. We can't be snatched from his hand. We're members of the body of Christ and, and, and we've been brought into his body and he is our head. Christ is our head. It's impossible that one of his members be amputated or to be lost forever. Charles Spurgeon said this, when a man stands in, in the water, the flood might naturally have power to drown him. But as long as his head remains above water, the stream cannot possibly drown his feet or his hands. And because Christ, the head cannot die, cannot be destroyed, all the floods that shall come upon the members of his body shall not and cannot destroy him. I, I love the picture that Spurgeon paints there for us. You picture Christ as our head, we are the body. We are the many members that are part of his body. And you picture floods that just come in. And his whole point is, if the head stays above water, you can't drown. No one can destroy Christ. No one can beat him. There's no one more powerful than him. And so if he's there and he's above water, even if storms are coming in and even if we're failing in all kinds of ways. As long as the head stays above water, the rest of the members are fine. They're not going to be taken. They're not going to drown. We find in, in, in Scripture reason after reason as to why it is that we're secure. <clears throat> we have an inheritance that's incorruptible. Undefiled, it doesn't fade away, we're told in First Peter. It's reserved in heaven for you. It's kept by how? The power of God. An inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled. If it's incorruptible, then it cannot be corrupted. If it's undefiled, it means it cannot be defiled. If we have a salvation that does not makes it so that we will never perish, it means that you will never perish. If he gives you eternal life, it means that it's eternal and it's not going to ever go away. All of these words should matter to us. 
We find things like in 1 Thessalonians 5.23 where it says that, that God is going to sanctify you completely. That he'll preserve you blameless until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, he who calls you is faithful and he will also do it. He, he who calls you is faithful and he will what? He will do it. He will preserve you blameless until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You look in scripture and you see what took place when we became a Christian. Before we were a Christian, we were under the law. We had the law over us. We failed miserably under the law. If the law was, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, with all your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself, we fail miserably under the law. And so Christ, what does he do? He fulfills all of the law. He fulfills all righteousness. And so in his life, he fulfills it all to where on this side of the cross in salvation, God makes it so clear that you're no longer under the law, but you're under grace. So for us to lose our salvation means that God has to take us who he made new creations and take us who once were under the law, but now we're under grace. And to say, because you failed in these areas, you got to go back under the law. But it's impossible for us to have to, to, to be able to fail in such a way because we're no longer under the law. It's all grace. We're in this place of being under grace. If you think about the fact that he loved us when we were sinners, while we were yet sinners, he loved us. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. Why would that love change when we've now been made righteous? I mean, if he loved us when we had no desire for him or no desire for the things of God, why would it change when now we've been clothed with robes of righteousness, the very righteousness of Christ? We were once dead in our sins, but God tells us he's given us everlasting life. It says it over and over again in scripture. Um, just one example, John six forty seven. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Or as a text that we just read in our text this morning, I give them what? Eternal life. You are secure in Christ. Not based upon your own abilities, but based upon the sovereign will of God. John six thirty seven says, Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. The one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me. That of all that he's given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me. That everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Your security is based on the sovereign will of Almighty God to bring that to pass. And he protects us. You think of Peter, where Jesus says to him, Satan asked for you that he might sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. 
We're being attacked. And yet God says, you're in this place of being believers. Satan has asked for you, but I've prayed for you. And when you return, he doesn't say if you return. He says, when you return, strengthen the brethren. We have protection that is there where we have an intercessor that is there for us and he is praying for us. Another thing that's just vital for us to understand is those who have faith in Christ are already perfected forever because of what Christ has done for you on the cross. It's not that our sins are removed once we get to heaven. Your sins are removed now as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 10.10, it says, By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Once for all. Or Hebrews 10.14, For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. You're being sanctified. You're being molded and shaped into the image of Christ, but he has already perfected you forever. To, to me, the, the, this doctrine, I'll tell you why it matters so much to me, is because if I'm in this place of thinking I could lose my salvation, I think that my salvation depends so much on me and what I do and how I live and do I have everything right and if I died today, would I be okay and should I do the altar call again this week? I don't know. I had a really bad last week. And you're just in this performance mode of, have I done enough? And you're going to lower the bar down so far that you're going to say, like, just to keep yourself sane, I think I've done enough. When you haven't. I mean, if you look at your own sin, you're going to realize that you haven't even come close to doing enough. But to be in a place of seeing Christ paid it all. He took all my sins. He gave me all of his righteousness. He made me a new creation. He's given me the Holy Spirit as, as a gift. The Holy Spirit seals me into the day of redemption. He's made me totally and completely new in him. You're in a place on the other side of being secure, saying, I, I adore him. I love him. I want to live for him. If, if you're not, if you're in a place of, okay, well, I'm saved. I can do whatever I want to do. Then you, you're probably not of his sheep because they hear his voice. He knows them and they follow him. The believer says, I want to follow him. I adore him. I love him. It's not to earn favor with him or it's not so I can know that I'm saved or I know I'm secure. I'm secured because my hope and my trust and my faith is in the work of Christ upon the cross to where my security is in him and not in anything else. But what about those that seem like they have fallen away? For those that believe that you can lose your salvation, a lot of times they go to somebody that they've experienced in their life where they think, I know that guy was saved, but he totally fell away. Um, the text that I bring before you are texts like 1 John 2.19 where it says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that, they, <coughs> that, they, that it might be made manifest that none of them were of us. They, they left because they weren't of us. If they were, they would have remained. You may be here this morning thinking, well, you brought up a lot of good verses that talk about our security in Christ, but what about the ones that, that are hard for us? What about the ones that, that are difficult? Probably one of the most difficult passages for us comes from Hebrews 6, verse 4. 
You can turn with me there if you want for a moment. Hebrews 6, 4. We'll close with this. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened. Hebrews 6, 4. It's impossible for those who were once enlightened. Have tasted the heavenly gift. Have become partakers of the Holy Spirit. Have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. If they fall away to renew them again to repentance. Since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God. And put him to open shame. And so that verse is used frequently to be one which, well, what do you mean by, what does it mean by that? It's impossible for those who were once enlightened to taste of the heavenly gift. Been partakers of the Holy Spirit. They've tasted the good word of God. If they fall away to renew them again. I would say that those people aren't true believers. They've been enlightened. They've been here. They've sat. They've heard the gospel. Been around Christians. They've participated in so much of what's taken place. They've tasted of the heavenly gift. But look at verse 9. If you go down to verse 9. But beloved, we're confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. We're confident of better things concerning you. Not that you're going to fall away. Those that were once enlightened to fall away or those that once tasted the heavenly gift that fall away. We're confident of way better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. Because if salvation is there, you're not those that are unable to be renewed again to repentance. I'm confident of way better things concerning you. Yeah, the things that go along with being saved. And that means that we follow him. He works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He leaves the 99 and goes and gets the one that went astray. He brings us to repentance. Just scratch the surface of our security in Christ. But hear the words of the Lord one more time before we close. My sheep, they hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My father who's given them to me is greater than all and no one's able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. Power there. May we be a people who just find ourselves just loving the fact that God has saved us. Finding ourselves just praising him because he's made us new creations. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us robes of righteousness. He's adopted us into his family. He's not going to not adopt us. He's made us white as snow. He took us who were dead and he made us alive. He's given us an inheritance that's incorruptible, that's undefiled, that will not fade away. He keeps us to the very end. May we who know that we are saved based upon our faith in Christ find ourselves just in love with him this morning. There's something incredible about being safe. Being safe. And I pray that if there's any here that think that they're saved, that are not saved, 
Look at your life and say, do I have a desire for the things of God? Do I love him? Do I worship him? Is my hope and my trust and my faith in the work of Christ upon the cross? Do I hear his voice? Does he know me and do I follow him? Because those that are his sheep, they do that. They follow him. You're going to sin. But you're going to want forgiveness of sin. You're going to want to repent. You're going to desire the things of God if you're a believer. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this text before us this morning. And, and, and I pray, Lord, that, <clears throat> that your sheep here in this congregation this morning would love the shepherd. That we love our Savior. A Savior who holds us in his hand. A Father who's greater than all that holds us in his hand and tells us, no one can snatch you away. You'll never perish. May that security cause our hearts to come to a place of just adoring you and worshiping you and living for you. May we see just power, power, sovereign power in our Savior this morning. And for any who are not saved, may today be the day of salvation for them. I pray that they would be sitting here and just hearing the shepherd for the first time. Seeing that they're still dead in their sins. And calling upon you for salvation this morning. For his sheep, they do, they hear his voice. They follow him. We love you so much this morning, Lord. May it be reflected through the praises now of your people. In Jesus' name, amen.